Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Every once in a while, I'll have someone come up to me and say, what's Southside Church all about? What's Southside Church all about? And I've been thinking about it this week, like, how would I best answer that question? And I came up with one way that I think is pretty accurate. Years ago, there was this guy named Philo of Alexandria. And he had a quote, maybe you've heard it. He said this, be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. So what's Southside Church all about? Well, we're a group of men and women, we're a group of families that have come together to form a movement to actually live out that quote. Be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Everywhere you meet them, no matter when you meet them, they're fighting a great battle. And our kindness manifests itself, I think, in three main ways. Number one, we try to be tangibly kind. Right? We understand that when you look around the world, you see all kinds of men, all kinds of women, all kinds of boys and girls who desperately need a helping hand. And we try, when possible, to extend a generous helping hand. We understand at Southside Church that we can't fix everything, but we know that that shouldn't keep us from doing something. And what we've seen is that when we step out in generosity and do something, over and over again, we watch God take our something and use it to change everything in a person's life. Secondly, we know that we need to be relationally kind. Man, we live in an isolated, lonely, divided world. And we really believe that we need to come together in this season. December of 2020, maybe more than ever in my lifetime, we realize it, right? We need to come together in this season. So we're building this new home. For the first time in the history of our church, we're going to have a home. And we want it to be just that, a home away from home. Whether you're walking in physically or whether you're receiving a message that, count, that is streamed to you across the internet, we want it to be home and we want people to know, we want you to know that you don't need to believe like we believe to belong here. and You don't need to behave like we behave to belong here. But we do know this, that in this season of our world, in December of 2020, there is exponentially more reason for us to pull together than drift apart. And that's what we're trying to do. And thirdly, we want to be uh, spiritually kind. We want to be spiritually kind. John 3, 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. That's a message that never gets old. That's a message that changes the world, that turns the tide, that raises hope around the world every time we preach it. And so we're going to keep doing that. And it, what's amazing in all that's happened in this crazy year of 2020 is that we've been able, as this church called Southside, to extend our kindness further and deeper and with more generosity than ever before. It's actually amazing. And so I want to ask you right now to consider being a part of our year-end offering. We want to end this year with a bang. We want to look forward into 2021 and make it the best year ever. So I guess I'm asking that we would end this year with kindness. See, whether you've never given to Southside Church before or whether you have given and you are looking at what you might want to give in this year end, when you step out and act in a generous fashion, here's what you're doing. You're being kind. Because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. 
So man, I would love it if you would do that. You can give at Southside Church by texting the keyword gift to 604-670-3040, or you can go on to the website, southsidelife.com. Well, years ago, there was a wheat farmer from Saskatchewan who went on a missions trip to India, okay? And while he was there, after an open-air church service, he actually met a farmer from India. And as you can well imagine, uh, they had a lot to talk about. They got along great. They began comparing the relative similarities and differences of farming in Canada and farming in India. And so this guy from Saskatchewan, he figures, well, I want to give, uh, give this farmer from India, I want to give him a sense of scope. So he says, Mr. Singh, how large is your farm? And Mr. Singh says, well, if you look across this park, you see that light pole? Okay, my farm is in the shape of a square, so the distance from where we are standing to that light pole is its length as well as its width. Well, this guy from Saskatchewan smiles. He says, Mr. Singh, would you like to know how large my farm is? I want you to imagine for a second that you came to visit me in Canada, and one morning at 9 a.m., we got in my car at one end of my property, and we drove in my car, and we drove, and we drove, and we drove, and we drove, all the way until 12 noon. For three hours we drove. And when I stopped the car for lunch, Mr. Singh, finally at that point we had reached the end of my property. And so the guy from Saskatchewan expects Mr. Singh to be looking on with amazement, but what he sees is sympathy instead. Mr. Singh says, man, I know exactly how you feel. I used to have a car just like that. See, perspective changes everything, doesn't it? And so we've been talking a little bit these last few weeks about a question. What happened to the wonder? What happened to the wonder? And I want to give us some perspective today on that question. What happened to the wonder? And in order to get perspective, I want to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, our spiritual enemy, the devil, he waged a war in heaven. He recruited one-third of the angels in heaven, and he looked to overthrow God, to throw God down from the throne and to assume his role as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Well, the devil and his demons were defeated. They were cast out of heaven like lightning. And since that day, the devil and his demons have been defeated, but not yet done. The devil has been defeated, but not yet done. That's a tricky concept, actually, isn't it? Defeated, but not yet done. You know what I think would be uh, helpful in understanding this whole concept of defeated but not yet done, would be if you had been, like me, an Edmonton Oilers fan over the last decade or so. If you're an Oilers fan, you know that the last 10 to 12 years have been a little bit tough on the Oilers. And there have been many seasons, more seasons than I would care to remember, where the Oilers have been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs with many, many, many games left in the season. Okay, so in that sense, I want you to think about it. The Oilers were defeated but not yet done. Okay, they still got another 10 games left, but they're eliminated from the playoffs. And what commentators will say is this. They'll say, well, the only role that the Oilers can really play now is the role of, that's right, spoiler. Spoiler. And and what that means is, it means that the Oilers really can't win anything now, but they can spoil other teams' opportunities to win. Like if they get into the second last game of the year against their fiercest rival, the Calgary Flames, the commentator might say, you know, the Oilers don't have a lot to play for, but if they win against the Flames tonight, they can destroy the playoff chances of the Calgary Flames. 
defeated but not yet done. See, when we're defeated but not yet done, the only role left to play would be a spoiler and a destroyer. And that's the role that our spiritual enemy, the devil, is playing. And one of the ways he does that, because he can't wage a war in heaven anymore, he has waged a war on heaven, on two fronts. Number one, he tries to convince the world that heaven itself does not exist, that this world is all there is, that this planet, this is it. That's all we get. And that's been a real tough sell. That front has not been successful for the devil. And I think that's because inside of every man and inside of every woman, inside of every boy and inside of every little girl, there's this thought, there's this longing for more. There's got to be more than this world. There's got to be more than this planet. There's got to be more than I'm seeing. And, and, And philosophically speaking and spiritually speaking, There's something inside of us that knows that if we have this deep inner longing, there has got to be a fulfillment somewhere, somehow, sometime. So the devil has launched a war on heaven on a second front, and that second front has been much more successful. He admits that, yes, there is something more. There is heaven, but heaven is lame, ethereal, and boring. It's really not much to look forward to. Isaac Asimov actually said it this way. He said, I don't believe in an afterlife. So I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. I want you to think about that in December of 2020. We live in a world in desperate need of hope. In desperate need of beauty. In desperate need of joy in desperate need of wonder, in desperate need of more. And yet so many are walking around thinking, well, there is more, there, there is an afterlife, and here's what it is, lame, ethereal, and boring. And what happens then is we are robbed of our hope and our wonder. So let me go back. What's the answer to the question, what happened to the wonder? Spiritually speaking, here's what happened. It got taken from you by force. In in answer to the question, what happened to the wonder, spiritually speaking, it got taken from you by force. And our goal in this series is to take it back. We're waging a war for heaven. So what can a little church in one corner of the globe really do? Oh, a lot. Because here's what I know. I know that the world changes one life, one story at a time. That the tide turns one life, one story at a time. I know that hope rises one life one story at a time. So we're waging a war for heaven. We're going to take our wonder back. So last week I talked about this, who you will be in heaven. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I really encourage you to jump onto the website or YouTube and check it out. But I said, you know what? In heaven, you're never going to be disappointed. You're never going to be directionless and you're never going to be done. And coming up in just a few days in our Christmas service this year, I want to talk about who you're going to meet in heaven. We're going to talk about Jesus. And and I'm almost sad to say this. But I'm going to talk about Jesus this Christmas in a way that you probably have never heard Jesus talked about before. Even if you grew up in church. Do you remember earlier I always said that the devil is waging a war on heaven? Well, he's also waging the same war on Jesus. On two fronts. The first front is this. He wants to convince people that Jesus never existed. 
And of course, that's not a very successful front because anybody with a cursory knowledge of history knows that Jesus existed. Well, then here's the second front. He wants to convince people the same thing that he wants to convince people about heaven, that Jesus is actually lame, ethereal, and boring. But he's not. Oh, it's way, way, way better than that. Man, this is going to be the most amazing Christmas service we have ever done. So I'm going to ask you honestly, unashamedly, pick a service, plan to gather your family in, watch it together, invite everyone you know, share it with everyone you know. I'm going to be talking about Jesus, the baby born in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem who grew up to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to be talking about him in a way that you've never heard him talked about before. And it's good news. It's good news. It's going to be my present to you this Christmas. But today, I want to talk about where we're going to be in heaven. Where are we going to be in heaven? And you know what it's not? It's not lame, ethereal, and boring. In fact, it's the opposite. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put it this way. He said, No eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived of what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, I've actually heard people say, well, there you go. We're never going to know. Well, you need to understand that the next line that Paul writes is this, but it has been revealed to us by his Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible actually says that we're supposed to set our minds on things above. Why? To renew our hope and to restore our wonder. So let's turn our attention to Revelation 21. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be there with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Revelation 22 says it this way. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Healing. Life. No more death. No more tears. No more crying. No more pain. A new heaven and a new earth. I love the way Randy Alcorn expresses the new earth. He says this, Imagine everything you see in its original condition. The happy dog with a wagging tail, not the snarling beast, beaten and starved. The flowers unwilted, the grass undying, the blue sky without pollution. People smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, and empty. If you're not in a particularly beautiful place, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've ever been. Complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. Think of friends or family members who love Jesus and are with him now. Picture them with you walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You are laughing, playing, talking, and reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick up an apple or an orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. Now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall to your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you at last. You were the person you were made for in the place you were made to be. Everywhere you go, there will be new people and places to enjoy, new things to discover. What's that you smell? A feast. 
a party's ahead, and you're invited. There's exploration and work to be done, and you can't wait to get started. A new heaven and a new earth. You know what it reminds me of? It actually reminds me of Pick-A-Pop. Growing up in Red Deer, Alberta, we had this place called Pick-A-Pop. Maybe you've never heard of Pick-A-Pop. Well, maybe where you grew up, you had a place called Pop Shop. Same thing. Maybe you've never heard of either of them. That's okay. I will explain it to you, okay? So in Pick-A-Pop, you would go in and you would buy these glass bottles full of soft drinks. Okay, they had 25 different flavors to choose from. And then you would take them home and drink them. And when you brought them back, you would exchange your empty glass bottles for full ones. It was like old school, sustainable soft drinks. All right. And when I think about Pick-A-Pop, I think about two main things. Number one, I want you to think about this just for a second. They sold one liter glass bottles. Okay. And what they also sold is they sold a cap, a reusable cap that went on the top of these glass bottles to vacuum seal it so that the fizz stayed in the pop. Think about that for a second. A one liter glass bottle with a reusable cap that vacuum sealed it so that the bubble stayed in the pop, which is kind of shocking from the context of 2020, don't you think? Like in, in 2020, you can go to a convenience store and you can buy yourself a double gulp, 1.9 liters of pop for one person in one sitting. Well, that's amazing. Like I remember sitting down. When my dad would be out of town once in a while, my mom would get my little sister and I pick a pop. So the three of us would sit down for supper. We would all have some pick a pop. And at the end, the little sealer cap would go on the top and it would go back into the fridge. And maybe you think I'm going to say right now, see, like everybody in 2020 is a glutton. It's ridiculous. No, I'm not saying that. I want you to think about something for a second. I want you to imagine, because it's true actually, that deep down inside of every man and every woman and every boy and every girl is a longing for more, for more. But let's imagine also that we have an enemy named the devil who has tried to convince people that either there is nothing more than this world or there is, but it's lame, ethereal, and boring. Well, then what happens next is we look for that more within this world. What I'm suggesting to you is this, that so much of what we look at and we, we label as compulsive behavior or gluttonous behavior or even addictive behavior is really just this. It's people looking for physical tools to fix their spiritual longing. Looking for physical tools in this world to fix the spiritual longing that they have for something beyond this world. And here's the second thing that I remember about Pick-A-Pop. Pick-A-Pop was pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was pretty good. It, it, it wasn't really that great. Like, let's take Pick-A-Pop Cola, for example. Like, if you drank Pick-A-Pop Cola and you squinted your taste buds just right, you could convince yourself that it kind of sorted almost tasted just a little bit like the real thing, like Coke. But it didn't really. And that reminds me a little bit of our world. I was thinking this week about a drive that I've taken dozens and dozens and dozens of times in my life, from Reggio, Alberta, to the Fraser Valley of BC. You know, down through Calgary, across to Banff, Golden, Revelstoke, Kamloops, into the valley. And obviously, I've gone the other way back from the valley to Red Deer. I was actually trying to think this week, which one have I driven most, west or east? And of course, the answer is I've driven west exactly one more time than I've driven east. 
pretty thankful for that, actually. I mean, I love Red Deer, Alberta. Do not get me wrong, but I really love being here and being home. Back in the early years when Kurt and I first got married, we had a kind of a plan of when we would leave the valley and head back towards Red Deer. We would leave here about 9 o'clock at night. We would drive all night and arrive in Red Deer at about 9 a.m. Here's the thing, though. Back in that day, if you put Corinne in the passenger seat of a moving vehicle, she would fall asleep almost instantly, okay? So, so I would be by myself for this drive. But to tell you the honest truth, I didn't mind it at all. It was pretty amazing because about two hours into the drive, man, it's just like just you on the road. It's so peaceful. I would listen to music or listen to books on tape. And every once in a while, when we would go to the top of the Coquihalla or the top of the Rogers Pass between Revelstoke and Golden, I would just pull over. I would turn off my lights. I would leave the car running so I didn't disturb Corinne. And I would just stand out there. And there's no light pollution at all. It's just you. And this incredible scene, the, the moon and the stars like crisper and clearer than you've ever seen them before. It's funny because I was thinking, you know, I often say things like this. Man, this is the most beautiful place on the planet. And I think after a while, you might start to think to yourself, Mike, you exaggerate. You know, I actually don't. Because this is what I did this week. I googled the most beautiful places in the world. And this is what I found. I found that on every list, that at least one of the places that they said was the most beautiful place on the planet was someplace that I would have passed as I drove from Red Deer to the valley. And in some of the lists, they had two or three of those places, okay? But absolutely breathtaking, standing there in the top of the Rogers Pass and looking up. In the summer, the light of the moon and the stars was enough to illuminate the rocky crags of the Rocky Mountains. And there was the smell of the alpine forest and sometimes the sound of a waterfall just a little ways off. Absolutely incredible. And in winter, it was dazzling because everything is white and the, the lights of the stars and, 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 and the moon are just shining off, reflecting off of that snow. And I think that for some people, they might think, man, like standing there in a scene like that, I wonder if it made you feel small. But you know what it never did? It actually made me feel safe and full of wonder. Think, think of the scope. Do you know that if you're standing on the top of the Rogers Pass, that the closest star that you can see is four light years away. Four light years away. So that means the light that meets your eye left that star around Christmas of 2016. And some of the stars that you can see from the top of the Rogers Pass are thousands of light years away. Thousands. So the light that left that star to meet your eye left there around the time that baby Jesus was being born in a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. Or the light that meets your eye left that star around the time that Noah, Noah was putting the animals in the ark. That's incredible. If you go back to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, there's this long list of all the things that God created. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, at the end of a sentence, there's kind of a throwaway line, and this is what it says. It says this, and he made the stars also. That's crazy, right? And he made the stars also. How big is your God? He made the stars also. And he's your father. He's my father. 
So as I'm standing there looking at that breathtaking, magnificent sight, here's what I know. My God is with me. My God is for me. He has a plan for my past to forgive my sins. And he has a plan for my future. Even back then, he knew that one day I would be speaking to you about this, to take your wonder back. Your father, your father in heaven, he made the stars also. So you can feel safe and full of wonder. And yet it hit me, a new heaven and a new earth. So when I'm standing there on the top of the Rogers Pass and I'm looking at this magnificent scene, you know what it's like? It's a little bit like pick a pop cola. So one day on the other side of eternity, we're going to see the real thing. And as magnificent as this is, it's going to be exponentially more. Every time I think of the new earth and the new heaven, I think of the last book in the Narnia Chronicles. It's called The Last Battle, and it sets this scene of the passing away of the old Narnia, representing our old earth, and the emergence of the new Narnia, representing our new earth. Listen to this. It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of the sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real ones. Yet at the same time, they were somehow different. Deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story. In a story you have never heard but would very much like to know. See, the difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If ever you get there, you'll know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right foot on the ground and neighed. And then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this. Come further up, further in. These hills, said Lucy, the nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund after a moment's silence. Why, they're exactly like. Look, there's Mount Pyre with his forked head, and there's the pass into Archland and everything. And yet, said Lucy, they're different. They have more colors on them, and they look further away than I remember, and they're more, more like the real things, said Lord Diggory softly. Suddenly, Farsight the eagle spread his wings, soared 30 or 40 feet up into the air, circled around, and then alighted on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we have all been blind. We are only beginning to see where we are. From up there, I have seen it all. Etzmir, Beaver's Dam, the Great River, and Care Paravel still shining on the edge of the Eastern Sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. I want you to think about that just for a second. You're going to see things in heaven that you can't imagine seeing. You're going to experience things that you can't imagine experiencing. You're going to sing songs that you can't imagine singing. You're going to golf courses that you can't imagine golfing. You're going to discover things that you can't imagine discovering. You're going to ski hills that you can't imagine skiing. You're going to have adventures that you can't imagine having. And yet, there's always going to be more. 
See, what heaven is going to be is going to be a miraculous blend of the new and the familiar. A miraculous blend of the new and the familiar. Maybe the best illustration I could give you is this. Imagine your favorite song. Your favorite song. And I know that's hard. It's hard to ask people that question. What's your favorite song? But let's say I gave you like three days and you had to come up with it. Your favorite song, like that song, even if you haven't heard it in years, it comes on the radio and immediately you're like, man, I love that song. Imagine your favorite song, but one day you discover that the band that sang that song, one day there was a concert at a very small venue and they recorded a version of that song, but instead of five minutes, it's 15 minutes. And they added verses. And it's the same song, but it's more, and it's different, and it's better. And you hear it, and you're like, yes, the miraculous blend of the new and the familiar. A new heaven and a new earth. One more from C.S. Lewis. Don't run away with the idea that when I speak of the resurrection of the body, I mean merely that the blessed dead will have excellent memories of their sensuous experiences on earth. I mean it the other way around. That memory as we know it is a dim foretaste, a mirage even, of a power which the soul, or rather Christ in the soul, will exercise hereafter. It need no longer be private to the soul in which it occurs. I can now communicate to you the fields of my boyhood. They're building estates today, only imperfectly by words. Perhaps the day is coming when I can take you for a walk through them. It's a miraculous blend of the new and the familiar. Man, there's so many things that I've told people about in my life. I think one of the things maybe I've told you about before is an outdoor hockey rink about 25 minutes northwest of Red Deer. But man, I look forward to the day when I can show you. And I could tell you about the sound that your newly sharpened blades make on that fresh sheet of ice but I look forward to showing you. I could tell you how we were going to play a game of shinny hockey, but I really look forward to showing you how my team is going to actually kick your team's butt. And I imagine when we're done the game, we'll skate to the edge of the boards and we'll look out beyond the glare of the lights and we'll look up at the stars. Exponentially more even than that incredible view from the top of the Rogers Pass. And you'll look at me and you'll say, he made the stars also. And we'll know. He's our father. He's preparing a place for us. A miraculous blend of the new and the familiar that'll never get old. And the best will always be yet to come. So as I close today, I want to close with two things. Number one, I really, really want to invite you back for our Christmas services. Please pick one, make it your own, bring the family around. Let's talk about Jesus in a way that's gonna just encourage you so much this Christmas season. And number two, I kinda wanna ask you how you're doing right now. Like, I wonder if the enemy has come in this year and stole your wonder. That kinda convinced you that even though there's this longing inside of you for more, that there is no more. And maybe you've tried kind of all these physical tools to solve your spiritual longing, but it just hasn't worked. Well, what I want to tell you is that that's why God sent Jesus into history. That's why we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into history, and he's the more that we've been looking for. And so when we turn to Jesus, we know that he died so that our sins could be forgiven, and he rose again 
to show us the way to life, abundant life that starts right now and stretches into eternity. He wants to restore the wonder in your soul and to restore your hope for eternity. And everything that needed to be done, he already did. All you need to do is accept it. So I want to give you that opportunity right now to accept that free gift of life, abundant life and eternal life that Jesus came to give you. So if that's you, you want to pray right now with me, and I would love that. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. You're magnificent. You're magnificent. Thank you that you stepped into human history for me. That you have a plan for my past, and so you died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. And you have a plan for my present, my future, and my eternity. You rose again. So Jesus, I pray that you give me the strength to live a life of wonder that starts in the inside and changes everything on the outside. And thank you that you are preparing a place for me, an eternal place where the best will always be yet to come. We love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. And if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, can I ask you to just take a moment and text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040. We don't want to stalk you, but we really want to support you. Because this movement, Southside, it's a together thing. It's not a solo pursuit. It's all of us together, supporting one another, praying for each other, cheering each other on. So again, I love you guys a lot. We'll see you in just a few days for the most amazing Christmas services that we've ever done. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.